welcome everybody back into Down the Line. As always, I'm your host, Carson Brabber, and today, what a wonderful feeling it is to have a week's worth of Grand Slam tennis to talk about. We are now into the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, and a bunch of good stuff has gone down already. So today, I'm going to be giving my five biggest takeaways from the first week of action, and then I'll be giving some match predictions towards the end of the episode as well. So my first takeaway and far and away the biggest, to me what is easily the most compelling storyline of the tournament thus far, is that Djokovic is just not human. Now obviously this refers to him winning a couple of matches now after suffering what he initially said was likely a stomach tear. Remains to be seen if that is the case, regardless an injury that is certainly affecting his ability to play out there at his full potential. And if you just look at where he's come, in that third round match against Fritz, after the injury initially happened when he was up two sets to love early in that third set, he was not moving. He was spraying balls. He was consistently out of position on his forehand. It looked like the tank was initiated, and it looked like he should have just stopped playing. He was having a bunch of difficulty returning serve, won six total return points in the third and fourth sets combined, and all the momentum was headed against him, and it just doesn't make sense how he won that match. It looked like he shouldn't have even been trying, but then you think, okay, for sure after this, the adrenaline will have worn off. He'll be done. The pain will be too much. He had to take a day off of practice, which is obviously a little bit atypical and cause for concern. A bunch of people were speculating that he would probably withdraw from the tournament. And then somehow he wins again versus Raonic. I do wonder when I look back at that match, if he loses the first set, maybe things go very differently. Maybe he's done. Maybe he doesn't have the boost in adrenaline and confidence that he needs to continue to stay out there competing because the first set looked like the hardest to me. He was not comfortable stepping into balls very clearly, seemed to be having a difficult time generating full torque with his hips. There was just some tentativeness to do that, particularly from the forehand side. Everything was open stance, and yes, Djokovic always hits a bunch of open stance forehands, but there was some pace missing from it as well. He just wasn't getting that full rotation, the full force of his body into each stroke. Change of direction looked difficult. He was struggling to return again, but his serve was so timely, holds in a big game, at 4-5, 5-6, and comes up with a couple big serves in the tiebreak as well, and that sort of bailed him out. If you do look at where how he was playing from the ground, again, not able to be that aggressor, not able to have that consistent pace, only hit five winners from the ground out of his 42 points won. That was just 12% of his total points won in that set, versus 16 winners from the ground over the next three sets, 18% of his total points won. A significant difference there that I think is telling of how he just looked a little bit more comfortable as that match went on, now, I still think that you definitely saw the impact of the injury. I think he was out of position more often than normal. I think he was off balance more than normal. Looked like he was having to guess more. His forehand was still, I think, missing a little bit of pace. But he was able to survive. And I do think he was stepping into balls more. And I do think he was attacking more. And that is a very good sign because with the level he played out in the first set, although he was able to win, I'm not sure that he would win another match. That looked like 60% Djokovic, whereas the rest, it looked more like 75 to 80% Djokovic. 75-80% to 80% Djokovic might be able to win a Grand Slam, 60% I don't quite think so. So, maybe continued rest will help him continue to feel better, maybe just the comfort of being out there on the court, finding what works, what doesn't, will make him better, but the one thing that he does really have going for him right now, as I mentioned, is that serve. He is serving big, and if you are going to win in spite of an injury, which seems to have no effect on his serve, either in the Fritz match or in the Roundage match, that's going to be the way to do it, is you're going to have to get as many of those free points as you can, and he did it against Raonic, got 68% of his first serves in, won 78% of his first serve points, 
hit as high as 126 miles per hour, and Djokovic has been serving bigger as of late in general, but wasn't often you saw him get up to 126 in years past, and he faced just three break points all match. Now, obviously, Raonic, not an exceptional returner, but Djokovic is serving big. Against Fritz, he won 88% of his first serve points in the fifth set, made 73% of his first serves. In a match where everything was going against him, where it seemed like he was so uncomfortable, every movement was a labor, that's how you get out of there alive. You get your first serves in, and you take advantage of what it opens up for you, and you serve big. Against Tiafo. now he was fully healthy at that point, but one of his best serving matches ever. 26 aces, got up to 127 miles an hour. So that's his weapon. That's what's going to be keeping him alive in this tournament, which is crazy because that has never been something I would say about Djokovic's game. It's also going to be his consistency because although there's a couple times where you see, again, the footwork is maybe not that precise on the forehand and the timing is just off, or he's out of position in a way that is really atypical for him, normally being so precise, so consistent on that end. For the most part, he can get balls back no matter what. And his movement laterally, I think, has been okay for the most part. His movement front to back looks okay for the most part. Probably still better than most players on tour, even if it's not 100%. I am worried about the return of serve, though. And particularly with this upcoming matchup against Zverev, who has been serving well, Djokovic only won 33% of his return points against Raonic. Obviously, Raonic is a great server, and that is something that plays into this as well, but it just looks like he's really feeling the impact there. He can't step in like he normally does. Normally so great at anticipating the timing there, stepping into those balls, and now it just seemed like there were more instances in which he's flailing, he's just barely getting balls back, and that concerns me a little bit. But when I look at that Zverev matchup, it could be a problem for sure. Djokovic is a pretty heavy favorite right now. He's minus 205 in the betting odds that I saw. That should not be the case because I honestly don't think that he wins this tournament right now. I think that people are saying that he's made this miraculous recovery, and I guess he has if it's from a stomach tear, but if your expectation is for him to be 100% when you say something like that, I don't know how you could have watched that Raonic match and thought, yeah, that's normal Djokovic. It just flat out was not, and if he's not 100% himself, you got to wonder... Does the wear and tear accumulate and just make it harder on him? And he's going to have to beat some really great players to win this title. So, I don't know if he beats Zverev. I certainly don't know if he wins the tournament. But regardless, this is a superhuman effort. And am I ever going to pick against him? Certainly not yet against a head case like Zverev. So, if you previously questioned the mental toughness, for whatever reason, of the guy who climbed the impossible mountain where the two greatest players of all time were playing concurrently, he was always the odd man out, suddenly he is the best of the bunch for a decade, and then fell off that cliff in 2017 and early 2018, then climbs it again. The guy who was able to do that, Mr. Save Match Points Galore, so famous for these incredible comeback situations in the biggest moments in slams, Mr. Won't Miss in the biggest points, who can be so punishingly consistent when he needs to, so brilliantly attacking when he needs to. If you, for whatever reason, question the mental toughness of that guy, you better not be doubting it now because this is incredible. I don't even want to address the people who are saying it's a feigned injury. That makes genuinely no sense. He was up two sets to love. He was in full control against Fritz. And it is so clearly affecting his actual physical capabilities. Again, his ability to rotate with his hips, his ability to hit with his normal pace, the change of directions at time. These are tangible things you can point to and say, that's not normal. Nobody has an incentive to make things that much harder on themselves than they need to when they are in control, and when they are commanding throughout the tournament up to that point. So, I just need to at least briefly address that, because I know that is circulating because of the toxicity, I would say, of the tennis community fandom. But this is incredible. It's one of the more impressive things he's done in his career, in my opinion. And if he somehow manages to win the whole tournament, 
it's one of the greatest accomplishments of his career and in tennis history. And it'll be interesting to see what the severity of the injury actually is. I'm sure we will get an official report about that probably after the tournament. And that will sort of frame just how ridiculous this all is. But regardless, just looking at the discomfort he's in, it's ridiculous enough as is for me to say it's an all-time accomplishment. So that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two, Karatsev is something to behold. And it's just crazy to me that these dudes can just be on the challenger tour for a decade never get to the pro level and then once they do get here make noise like he has because it's a crazy story he's world number 114 27 years old entered this tournament with a 3 and 10 career record in tour level matches never been in a grand slam and then if you look at his progression throughout this tournament now he was obviously on the russian atp cup team wasn't that significant though because rublev and medvedev were taking the majority of the load playing singles and obviously dominating there but then you get into the Australian, and he destroyed Jerosimov's second round. Lost one total game. And to some other people, that may not seem like such a big deal, although it is obviously dominant. But for us here at Down the Line, Igor Jerosimov is a little bit of a hero. And he's actually a similar story. Broke through at 27 years old last year. So when somebody dismantles him like that, that grabbed my attention right away. Then he destroys Schwartzman, beats him 3-3-3, and was in complete control of that entire match. And then... I predicted him to beat Felix because I thought this guy is playing at an unbelievably high level right now and I still question every once in a while the mental fragility of Felix being as young as he is. And what does Karatsev do? He comes back from down two sets and wins the match. And he is just such a weird player. He feels like such a challenger player because his strokes are super unconventional. They're so loopy, but they're also really rigid. But I think what it sets him up to do is he drops his racket head really low and then generates just this incredible racket head speed and can flatten out balls like crazy. And he's also a really tricky player. He disguises his strokes incredibly well. It's really hard to tell where he's going from either side. And I think that you see he hits a few outright winners just because I think because of the way he grips and holds his racket, you really can't tell where he's going. He's also very skilled at the net. He's coming a lot over these past couple matches and has done a good job there and is just generally an attacking player, the kind of guy who wants to control the match in that way. And he just has veteran toughness. You feel it. When I say that he feels like a challenger tour guy, part of it is his actual game, but part of it is he's got the fighter spirit of a 27-year-old dude who's been scrapping it on the challenger tour for most of the last decade. Now, do I think that he's going to be a permanent fixture in the top 20, top 30 that he'll ever make another Grand Slam quarterfinal in his career? I honestly don't really. There's some inconsistencies to his game. Man, can he direct that forehand, though? And again, the unpredictability is advantageous there. He's got some solid pace and variety on his serve. Can get up to about 130, but has a nice slice serve as well that he can place pretty well. And he opens up the court for that forehand. All of that is good and dandy. I do wonder about the consistency of his game long term, how he performs on a surface where maybe his big flat strokes aren't quite as advantageous. I don't know, but it's certainly fun to see, and these things always are. I do want to look briefly at the other side of this equation, though, which is, of course, Felix, who lost another heartbreaker. And if you look at his resume up to this point, super Nova talent, I would say. But he's 0-7 in finals, just 19-18 and in deciding sets. He's 50 and 36 in matches decided before the final set in either direction, wins or losses. He's 23 and 21 between Grand Slams and Masters 1000s, his biggest matches. He's 46 and 33 in all other matches. Lost first, first round in four of his seven slam appearances. He has made the fourth round in two of his last three, so that is certainly progress there. I'm not going to sit here and say, damn, Felix, what a choker. He's a complete underperformer because he's not. He's 20 years old. I just think his progression mentally is something to look out for because he does lose 
much more of these close matches than he should and much more of these matches on the biggest stages than he should. But regardless, I do think he's improving there. And that win over Shapovalov was a big one because I was pretty confident picking Shapo ahead of that one because of how well he had been playing, how well he played against Sinner. And Felix came out with a big win there. And that was certainly important for him. But he should be winning matches like this. Karatsev played really well, but Felix was in complete control of this match. He's undoubtedly the more talented player. And I think that's something that will come with time. But it was a little bit disappointing to see him come up short like that yet again. All right. Takeaway number three. Dimitrov is finally putting it together. He's into the quarterfinals here without dropping a set. And I have been a big Dimitrov advocate for quite some time now. One of my bold predictions before this year was that either he or Rumbert would finish the year in the top 10. Because if you just look at how close he was in some of the matches he lost last year. His last six defeats and nine of his 11 losses on the year came in deciding sets. And they were all to good players. The lowest ranked guy he lost to was Fuksovics, who is a very legitimate pro. And then on the other side, he had some real quality wins beating four top 20 guys. I don't think there's anything keeping him from being a top 10 guy in the world. As I predicted, he eviscerated team 4-4 in love. And that was a really impressive performance in which he just got stronger as he went on. He was down a break early in the first set. And then from then on, it was all Dimitrov for the most part. Hit just 18 on four stairs and three sets. Returned unbelievably well. Won 50% of his return points. And you can't name to me a shot that Grigor Dimitrov can't hit, obviously. There's a reason that everybody called him baby fed. He's a big server. Incredible power from both ends. Can be consistent and grind out wins when he needs to. Can volley well. So his talent level has just always been top 10, and there have been some mental questions, but now I think he's figuring it out. I think he beats Karatsev somewhat easily. Unfortunate to see the storybook tale end that way, but I just think Karatsev is going to be outclassed, and I'd say I wouldn't be surprised if we see a first career slam final from Dimitrov here, and I know that that means he will presumably have to go through Novak Djokovic, or if not Djokovic, Alexander Zverev, but I think absolutely he can beat either of those guys with Djokovic in this condition. I think that he is locked in. And again, the talent has always been there. So it's awesome to see him playing at this level. Also pretty awesome to see one of my early season predictions maybe paying off. But that still remains to be seen. Let's flip to the women's side here because we've only talked men thus far. Takeaway number four. Jessica Pagula is really good. How Jen Brady-ish does this run from her field? She's 26. Brady was 25 last year when she started to come on strong. Her career high is number 55. Brady's was somewhere around there. She had just three career slam wins before this, but I think also you saw that she was just a late bloomer and that she was better than those accomplishments would suggest because she did have some good results last year. She made the quarters at Cincy where she beat Sabalenka, Brady herself, and Anisimova. She made the third round of the U.S. Open. And just last week, she very nearly beat Sophia Kennan. So the talent has been there, and if you look at her skill set, it's impressive. She has power from both ends from the ground. She places the ball well, hits with consistent depth and margin as well, but she's a physical baseliner, I would say. Again, the power is something that stands out, her ability to hit winners from the ground, but she's also awesome at the net, and she can close out points there as well, which is obviously an incredibly important skill to have. So she's obviously one of the very fun stories of this tournament. Also, as a Buffalo Bills fan, very cool to see the daughter of the Bills owners, Terry and Kim Pagula, having such tremendous success, but she's been on the radar for a while. I think she's been better than her ranking for a while, but we've seen her put it together like this. Obviously, she dismantled one of my predictions. I had Azarenka making the finals here. Oops, Pagula put her away pretty easily. She's destroyed a couple other opponents, just demolished Sam Stoser, love and one, and then obviously comes up with a big time win against Vitalina. And I picked her to win that match because I just think sometimes you can tell 
that players, even if they're not at a slam quarterfinal level for their career, they're just in that zone for a tournament. It's why I picked Karatsev. It's why I picked Pagula, because they're playing at that level right now. And so I do think that maybe she's not Jen Brady good, but I think that Pagula will probably be a top 30 player in the world this year, maybe even a little bit higher than that. And it's always fun to see these late bloomers in tennis. Feels like we've had a few more of them over the last couple of years, obviously on the women's side, Brady, and then also Jabour. Now we have Pagula. And it's just nice to see because this is a sport where normally you think the door closes on you so fast. And maybe that's not always the case. I do want to lead this into a little mini thing. How long have I been saying Jen Brady is playing like a top 10 player in tennis? It's been a while, and she is certainly doing it right now. She is just obliterating people. The most games she has lost thus far is six in an individual match, and she is here in the quarterfinals. She is an incredible player. I do think she's a top 10 player in tennis right now, even if the ranking doesn't reflect that. And it's going to be a fun match between these two, but I do think I'm going to have to go Brady because of the level that she is playing at right now. Last takeaway here before we get into my quarterfinal picks and predictions, some of which I've already hinted at, Osaka is the best player in the world right now. And I have wanted to be like, maybe it's Andreescu because of how phenomenal she was last time she was out there healthy. Obviously, I picked Andreescu to win the Australian. Terrible pick. Osaka was the main contender for that decision alongside her. But guess what? I ended up going with Andreescu. I picked Andreescu to finish the year as world number one, but she's just not there right now. And it doesn't mean she can't get there. I have said for a while that I think these two will be co-queens of the next era, if you will. I think that they will both be all-time players. But right now, Osaka is just right around peak form. And it's great to see because of the little dip that she had for about the better part of a year there after winning her back-to-back -back slams. But she beat Jabour 3-2, making just 43% of her first serves. And for someone who can serve 120, whose average serve is about 110 miles an hour, when she can dismantle somebody like Jabour, who's a really high-level player, without that serve being on, without that being the maximum weapon that it's capable of, that's very telling. Obviously, her power from both ends is unmatched, and the serve when it's on is maybe unmatched. I believe strongly that she is coming for a second title here at the Australian Open in three years, which was always supposed to be the case. She was never supposed to have that little dip where she falls to number 10 in the world. It didn't make sense, and it's good to see her back where she belongs, atop the ladder of women's tennis, and she's the best player in the world right now, no matter what the rankings say. A lot of me talking about people being better than their rankings right now, but it's the theme of the day, I guess. I do want to say, though, because I say that I think Osaka's coming for, his, for her second title here in Australia in three years, Serena is playing really well, and they would be squaring off in the semifinals if Serena can beat Halep because the bottom half of this draw is just so loaded. And the start to the Potapova match was very weird for Serena, and if Potapova doesn't have an all-time collapse and is capable of just getting some first serves in. Maybe Serena loses that set. Maybe she loses that match. I don't know, but she responded well. She took advantage of when the door was left open. Then she fought really well versus Sabalenka and beat somebody who has been playing really well in Sabalenka. So that was a big win for her. I'm not sure that she gets by Halep, but I think that she could. And I think that she's probably the slight favorite for me right now. And it's just such an unbelievable run from her. She lost third round here last year, which was a little bit disappointing by her standards. Obviously, we haven't seen her in a slam final in a couple years, but I think that she's playing at a level at which she can get back there, and it's good to see she doesn't seem to be bothered by any of the nagging injuries that were definitely playing a factor in some of her struggles. I know that she did still withdraw from the tournament previous to the Australian because of injury, but I think that was just an abundance of caution and wanting a little bit of rest. So that's something to watch for. The Serena Osaka bout would always be an incredibly fun one between the greatest of all time and the greatest right now. So I gave you five takeaways. Here's a couple mini takeaways, though, just some things that I want to talk about that maybe don't deserve a full flesh take. I think that Sviatek proved a lot in this tournament. Now, 
She didn't beat Holop. She very well could have, but for somebody who won her first slam in such a strange way, with so many key players missing from the field, I think that this was very telling, and she is clearly playing at the level of a top 10 player in the world, I would say, as well. And I know that I'm throwing out a lot of people for those spots, but kick Svitolina out of there, kick Bearten's out of there, that's an easy cut, and boom, now we've opened up a little bit of space for the people who I want in my personal top 10. But that was really impressive to see, and I think that everything that we saw in the French has translated pretty well to hard as well. Her ability to vary pace, her incredible consistency and touch and skill from both sides. And Halep is not an easy player to beat, and she was in position to potentially do so. So that is very, very impressive given her age and experience prior to last year. A couple fun American stories. Mackie McDonald, friend of the show, of course. You can go back and listen to my interview with him as he was coming off of injury and everything was shut down with COVID as they were tuning up for the U.S. Open. Really nice guy, and it's great to see him having this success because that injury did have a long-term effect on his play for a little bit, and it seemed like he was just having a tough time grinding out some close matches as well. He falls at the hands of Medvedev. Who wouldn't? Medvedev is playing unbelievably right now. I think he should be the favorite to win the Australian, given Djokovic's injury. But that was really fun to see for Mackie, and good to see him take advantage of his protected ranking that may not last for that much longer, so he can get his actual ranking up. And then Ann Lee was really fun on the women's side. Now, maybe we'll delve in a little bit to her game later when this tournament is over if she continues to put up results, but she's just 20. She's a former really high-level junior, and I think that she had some really impressive wins in this tournament. I'm excited to see where she takes it next and if she can continue to build on that success. And then the last mini takeaway, Kyrgios obviously looks good, and that's been a question I've been fascinated by is, is he going to be rejuvenated by the time off? I don't know if we can say that, but certainly the talent level is as high as ever. His win over Umber was really impressive. He was commanding against team before he let that slip away. But if the question was which direction is he going to go, is he going to have a rebound or is he going to fall into obscurity, I think it's certainly leaning towards rebound because, again, nothing has happened to indicate that his talent level has dropped. And this was one of his better tournaments, even though he only ended up, ended up making the third round because he beat a great player and he very nearly beat a slam champion and a top three player in the world right now in Dominic team. So that's it for the takeaways. Let's get into picks now. So we're going to go match by match. Starting with the men, I have Djokovic beating Zverev in five. And as I hinted at earlier, this comes down to, am I going to take the greatest competitor I've ever seen? Or am I going to take a head case like Zverev, who has traditionally not performed very well in these spots? I'm going to take the great competitor, even though he's not nearly 100%. He's won the last four meetings between these two, obviously. They just had that ATP Cup battle, which was a phenomenal one to watch. The Djokovic ended up winning 7-5 in the third. I'm going to take him again here. It's scary. I don't think he should be the overwhelming favorite. That's why I have it going five. And maybe if it does go five, it becomes harder and harder for him to win just because of, again, the physical wear and tear. But I'm going to bet on him in a close one. I just like him more in those situations. And I think that Zverev is going to be tough to beat because he's probably not going to miss a lot of balls. And if Djokovic is trying to play without attacking as much then I think that Zverev will probably be content to do that as well and just sit back behind the baseline. And I don't know if long rallies favor Djokovic here, and maybe Zverev is patiently aggressive as well. There's some scary things about this matchup. I mentioned Zverev serve too, but it comes down to what I already stated. Give me Djokovic. Okay, in the other top half quarterfinal, I have Dimitrov beating Karatsev in four. I think Dimitrov is just playing that well. It's much more likely in my eyes to be in three sets than in five sets. And if Karatsev can bring out this one as well, what an incredible run it is. You don't see guys get to the semifinals when they've never been in the world's top 100, never been in a slam in their career, but I don't think it happens. I don't think his trickiness affects Dimitrov as much. I don't think he's as consistent from the ground maybe in this match as we've seen in a couple of his most recent, 
And I think that Dimitrov kind of breaks him down and blows him off the court to a certain extent. This is maybe the most exciting quarterfinal. We've got three really good ones, I would say, here, because most of the top players have advanced. But Medvedev-Rublev is my favorite. I'm going to take Medvedev to win in four. I am a massive Rublev fan, obviously. I predicted before the year he would end the season in the top five. They're both playing super well. Rublev has not dropped a set. Medvedev has not either, except for his match against Krajinovic. But as I mentioned earlier, Medvedev is the favorite to win the Australian Open right now. I think he should be. I picked him to make the finals before the tournament, but now circumstances have changed. He's won 18 straight matches. He's won 10 straight versus top 10 opponents. Had just 15 unforced errors versus Mackey. Was punishingly consistent in that match. He leads the head-to-head -head 3-0. It seems like he's always just had a little bit of an edge over Rublev in their matchups thus far. Rublev could definitely win this if he's able to sort of just remain patient and be unaffected by the Medvedev junk and return well. I'm not going to bet on that to happen right now, though, when it seems like nobody can handle the level that Medvedev is playing at right now. Last men's quarterfinal here, I have Rafa beating Tsitsipas in five. Nadal leads the head-to-head -head here 6-1. to one. He leads 4 nothing on hard, and he's been playing really well. Just had a pretty convincing victory over Fognini. Tsitsipas is playing well, too, though, outside of a sketchy match against Kokonakis that got pretty tough, but I actually think that he held up well there. Kokonakis was just on fire in that match, and Tsitsipas was still able to survive the onslaught. So the last couple matches between these two have gone to a deciding set. I think that we see that happen again. Maybe Tsitsipas goes down more easily. Maybe he pulls off the upset. Obviously, we've seen him pull off some magic at slams in the past, and I think it'll come down to can he get points started with his return? Can he get free points off of his serve? And both of those remain to be seen. Let's get into the women's now. I have Barty beating Muchova in two. Barty leads the head-to-head -head, 1-0. She's had a very easy draw thus far. She also hasn't been pushed in any of her matches. Has been pretty convincing, pretty consistent. And Muchova is playing well, having beaten Pliskova, having beaten Mertens. But I just think there's a different talent level here. Barty is grinding people to a pulp as of late. And I think that she continues to do so and wins relatively comfortably. Okay, then we have Brady versus Pagula. I'm going to take Brady to win that one in three. Pagula leads the head-to-head 1-0. As I said earlier, but and I can't pick against her at least making it a dogfight, but I just think Brady is better right now. I think that she is better across the board, honestly, and I think that that is going to show in this match. It may end up being a convincing victory, but I can't pick that right now because Pagula has been so tough. Bottom half of the draw. I have Osaka beating Shea in two. Osaka leads the head-to-head 4-1 here. These two have gone three sets in four of their five matches, and Shea's weirdness definitely makes it hard to beat her. Always just the lack of pace and the variety and pace that she throws at you. But with Osaka playing as she is, I'm pretty confident in this one. Maybe it goes three. Maybe the trickiness is a factor there. But I'd certainly bet my bottom dollar on Osaka at the very least winning. But it is a really fun story from Shea, obviously, having her career best result in singles at 35 years old. That is always great to see. And now maybe the most intriguing women's quarterfinal I have Serena beating Hollip in three. Serena leads the head-to-head 9-2. She leads 6-0 on outdoor hard. And this is a tough one, but I just trust Serena to gut out wins right now. I wouldn't say that she's been playing perfectly as of late, but I don't think that there are many weaknesses in her game to exploit at this point. And on a hard court, I'm just going to take her over Hollip. If this were on clay, I would be taking Hollip, but that is not the case. And I think Serena is highly motivated. Again, I think that she is healthier than she has been for the most part. And I think that she wants to take advantage of that opportunity. So... With all of that, we have a bunch of great tennis to look forward to. Obviously, so much good stuff has already happened, and I feel very privileged to have been able to watch it all unfold, but it should only get better from here. Now we're into the heavyweight matchups, and there is nothing better than that in a best-of-five format. We may have some classics on the way, and I cannot wait. But 
That will do it for us here today. I have been Carson Grabber, and this was Down the Line.